welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, and speech, and conduct, and love, and faith, and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. So our text begins today with a a statement from the Spirit, right? Uh, The Spirit expressly says that in the later times, the latter times, some will depart from the faith. So much for that once saved, always saved kind of teaching that is out there in, in some of the churches in our culture. There is no promise that once you're in, you're in. It doesn't work that way. Uh, once you're in, the Lord has redeemed you. He has rescued you. He has forgiven your sins. You are safe in his arms. As it says, nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. This is true. Romans 8, as he argues that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, this is true. But we can walk away. We can choose to abandon the faith, abandon the gifts that have been given to us. This can happen by outright rejection, just our own sinful nature rejecting it. But it it tends to happen by deception over time. Whether it's neglect, so you think of a person in your community that hasn't been in church in a couple years, um, their faith has been neglected, it hasn't been fed, it is starving. Uh, And starving, sometimes when you starve, you die. So that's one. Here, though, the one that's specifically pointed to is false teaching, that deceitful spirits, the teachings of demons, watch out for those within the church because there are people who will spread them. We see that all over the place today, all sorts of false teaching. And that's what a false teaching is. A false teaching is a teaching of demons. I know that sounds harsh to label um, somebody else in the church as teaching demonic things, But, I mean, what else should we say about the truths of God? The teachings of Scripture 
The teachings of the church are the teachings about God. They are the things that teach us about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has said. So if we distort them, if we try to change them, if we try to say that something in scripture is false and we need to believe this thing instead, I don't know how else to say. I mean, that's demonic. It is a false teaching. False teaching about Jesus leads people astray. It leads them to death. And so we, we are to pay attention to it. We are to be on guard against it, which is a theme of this chapter. Um, you have some who certainly reject that premise in the church today as well, who think that we spend too much time focusing on doctrine, that we don't need to focus on doctrine. We just have to focus on loving each other. Now, that's like focusing on keeping yourself properly hygienated, proper hygiene, you know, washing your hands, taking a shower and stuff, but forgetting to ever eat again. I mean, that doesn't work, right? There are multiple things that have to be done to care for the body, and so it is with the church. We can't just leave one thing out as though it's not important, especially when the scriptures specifically tell us it matters, and it matters greatly because people are losing their faith because of it. Um, We should be aware of this. There is the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, and that's a strong phrase. Similar to hardened hearts, that those who won't believe because their hearts are hard, this is the person who has battered his conscience. Right? Conscience is a gift that God has given. That's almost like his law written upon our hearts, right? Old Testament phrase there. There are people who, by their sin, by their repeated sins, and by their lack of repentance, sear their consciences. So it's like calloused. They don't feel it anymore. It doesn't bother them when they steal. It doesn't bother them, in this case, when they teach falsely, when they lie about God. Here are a couple examples that Paul gives of this. Forbidding marriage. We talked about that in yesterday's text with the Roman church. Um, It was apparently already happening then. Requiring abstinence from certain foods that God created. We know that all foods are clean through Jesus. We actually hear that in the Gospels. We hear it as well in the book of Acts. And so all food is a gift, and we should receive it with thanksgiving. They are good gifts. Verse 4, everything created by God is good. So marriage is created by God. Food is created by God. Receive these things with thanksgiving, and if you do, they're not bad. Nothing is to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. So Rejoice, thank God for his gifts, and enjoy his gifts. These things are made holy by the word of God and prayer. So we pray for the Lord to provide his gifts, and he does. All right, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, what things would that be? Um, Qualifications for ministry from yesterday's chapter. Uh, the various gifts that we were just talking about, not just marriage and food, but any good thing created by God, and the adherence to the truth, which is the charge to Timothy in this letter. If he does these things, if he places these things before the brothers, he is a good servant of Christ Jesus. He will have fulfilled his task. It is good for Timothy to be trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that he has been following. So, Yeah, again, the importance of doctrine. Know it. Know your scripture. Know the words of God that he has given to you. Talk about a good gift from God, right? To be received with thanksgiving, made holy by prayer. 
God's gift of his word. And it's not just pastors. Really, it's all people that, that should be trained in the words of the faith and to know good doctrine. Verse 7, straightforward, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So just reject them and move on. And there are many of them. This world is filled with them today. You want to talk about an irreverent, silly myth? How about the flying spaghetti monster? I don't know if you've heard of that one. Um, it was one created initially to mock Christians, um, that there is, you know, that we worship a God in the sky that cannot be seen. So I don't know why they chose spaghetti, but they did. And they called themselves now because it actually gained steam, right? They created this false religion. They created an idol, and now people actually worship it. Pastafarians. Pasta, you know, spaghetti. Farians. Um, there was a whole battle over religious freedom a few years back over this lady that wanted, that claimed to be a Pastafarian, and that Pastafarians apparently, when photographed, have to wear like a calendar, not not a C A L, but a C O L calendar, the one that you strain, uh, that you drain water out of pasta with. That they have to wear a calendar on their heads, and she won that battle, if I remember right, legally. Irreverent, silly myths have nothing to do with them. Just cast them off. Speak the truth instead. Train yourself, rather train yourself for godliness. Training is discipline, practice. Uh, he gives the example of bodily training. We know how to train our bodies. We eat certain foods. We don't eat other foods. We exercise. We practice whatever it is that our body needs to do. If you're going to play an instrument, you have to practice playing that instrument so your lips get strong enough to do it, uh, your fingers get strong enough to do it. Or if it's a sport, we, we train our body so that we can do that same repetitive motion for it again and again. We know how to bodily train. There is some value to that, but godliness is always valuable in every way. Godly living, the things that have been exhorted and, and lifted up already in this letter, especially those qualifications of pastors, um, but also of chapter 2, that we would pray, that we would, we would be modest, we would allow the work, the good works that we do that point to Christ to be the things that people see in us rather than how we dress. All those sorts of things. This godly living is of value in all things because it doesn't just mean something in this life. It points to the life to come. And it doesn't just point to the life to come for us, right? It points to the life to come for our neighbor. If we are godly, our neighbor sees us. They see that we're different from them. They see that we're set apart. And they might just ask why. Why don't you dress like I do? Why don't you spend your time doing this thing that I love to do? Why don't you talk like the rest of us do? Why don't you gossip? Why won't you make fun of that person with us? As you live differently, your neighbor notices. And it gives you the opportunity, right, to share the gospel. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is the third time that Paul has spoken like that. I believe it's referring upwards this time to the verse before it rather than the verse after, which has been the way he did it the last two times. To this end we toil and strive. So this is what we work for. This is our goal. Our hope set on the living God, the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Our end goal that we work for, that we fight for, is the salvation that comes in Jesus. That we would cling to that salvation. Again, 
once saved, always saved is true. We don't have to work. We don't have to strive for it. It's just there, done, do whatever you want. That's not the case. We cling to the promises of Christ. We work and we strive to cling to them and not to be deceived and fall away from them. Our hope is set on God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now notice, Jesus is Savior of all people in this text. The especially then points to those who actually are saved. So Jesus on the cross won the forgiveness of all sins, but you have those who still reject it. So Jesus is the Savior of all, but not all want to be saved. And they resist, they reject that salvation, and so they remain in their own condemnation. We do have a hope that our life never ends, that we get to live with Christ in his paradise forevermore, that no matter what happens in this world, we live. And so we don't set our hope on the things of this world. They fail, they fall, they disappear, but Christ endures forever. So, verse 11, Paul encourages him to command and teach these things. So, the qualifications, the gifts, the adherence to the, the truth, the striving to be godly in every way, those sorts of things from the, early in the chapter. And then, Paul gives him a list of things to do himself. So let no one despise him for his youth. So go on teaching, go on leading, regardless of your age. Do what the Lord has given you to do. And if you do this in a godly way, people will hear you as their pastor. So in Jewish culture, what I read in the Lutheran Study Bible suggests that the Jews considered you to be a youth until you were 40. Uh, then what? I guess you'd become an elder at that point. I'm not really sure. Um, the indication here is that this means Timothy's probably in his 30s. The other flip side to that, though, is that you could not become, I mean, you, you're really, your witness didn't mean anything until you hit 30. There's there's an importance to the age of 30 as well in Scripture. Uh, well, not Scripture, in Jewish culture, in Jewish society. This is why Jesus um, begins his earthly ministry around that age. This is the time that he can begin teaching and people would hear. So, not sure exactly what to make of this in terms of what Timothy's age is then, but just some thoughts for you on it at least. But, Paul then gives him the things to do. So, rather than be despised because of ungodly living, here's what your godly living will do. Set an example for others to follow in speech. So, you show them how to speak. You show them what kind of language is good of, and befitting of a Christian. In conduct, so you show them by your daily actions how you live your life, how they should live their life. In love, so how do we care for one another? In faith. How do we trust in God above all things? And in purity, so not, not in falseness, not dealing in, in lies. And then the exhortation here, uh, we learned yesterday in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 14, that Paul wants to come again. So until Paul comes, here are the things Timothy does for his congregation. Read the scriptures publicly. So the pastor reads God's word in the gathering of the Christians. This is true in most of our churches today. That's what the pastor does. It's his role. It's his function. Uh, to exhortation, so exhort the people. Give them, give them encouragement and prod them along to live godly lives. And to teaching, so share the word with them, both Old and New Testament. 
do not neglect the gift that you have. So the, the gift of being a pastor, the gift of being a teacher in the church, the gift of having the Holy Scriptures with him, uh, this has been given to him through the laying on of hands. That's a reference to his ordination by the elders. They ordained him. So practice these things. Again, just like the bodily discipline and training up in verse 8, practice godliness. Immerse yourself in them. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Immerse yourself in uh, good conduct, speech, love, faith, purity, those things from above. Immerse yourself in these. And keep, your, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Again, our culture doesn't like doing that. Our church culture, I should say. Um, but it's instructed to us. God has commanded it. Because when false teaching sneaks into the church, it does damage. It harms the sheep. And pastors are called to care for the flock. They would not care for the flock to let them be hurt. So care for, care for the teaching of the church. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why? Because the truth endures. And as long as you have the truth... As long as you remain in the truth of God, you are his. But if you allow yourself to be deceived, right, by devoting yourself to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, the false teaching and the insincerity of liars, well, then your salvation is in jeopardy. So persist in right teaching. Persist in sound doctrine in order that you, Timothy, and your hearers may be saved. This is one where you can then unpack it with your kids um, I forgot to say the other one I had written down earlier. Uh, back in verse 4, God created everything, or everything created by God is good. What good gifts has God created and given to you that you can be thankful for? It's a great conversation point. And then here, what do you do if your pastor teaches false doctrine? I think Matthew 18, verses 15 and following, is a great example for how to handle that situation. That you would, if you if you believe your pastor has taught something falsely, you would approach him one-on-one -on -one first. Like, not just stand up in the middle of the sermon and say, Pastor, you're wrong. Um, that creates chaos. And there's a whole section on that, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, about good order in the church. Rather, come to your pastor privately. Share with him your concern. Study the scriptures with him. If your pastor is a good pastor who has a genuine concern about doing this, about remaining faithful to teaching, then he will study the scriptures with you. He will show you in scripture where he thought he was coming from. You can show him where you think you're coming from. And together as brothers in Christ or as brother and sister in Christ, you have that conversation. And it could be that he's mistaken. If he's a faithful pastor and he's made that mistake, he'll repent. And then he will go back to the congregation and he will ask their forgiveness for teaching them something falsely. And he will show them in scripture the error that he made. And then they will forgive him, and you move forward together, and you rejoice. You have gained your brother, right? That's what it says in, I think that's verse 15. Maybe it's 16 at that point. Um, it might be the opposite, that you learn that you were mistaken, where you thought your pastor was teaching something falsely, in which case, again, you are reconciled to one another. Um, and this is good. The flip side is, what happens if it turns out that your pastor is wrong, and is not willing to repent of it. Or, a third option, what happens if you can't come to consensus, if you, if you can't see it? Like, 
neither of you can convince one another. In that option, let's go to that first. In that option, you need to bring in others, other faithful brothers and sisters. It can be within the congregation. You can do a Bible study on it. Let's, you know, let's study this together. Um, let's have a small group Bible study sometime next week or two weeks from now, and, and let's take this one on and see what we see in Scripture together as a church. Or you can go to, in the LCMS, our structure as a circuit visitor, visit your circuit visitor and share with him what's going on and, and see if he can help the two of you resolve um, the difference. If the pastor outright refuses, though, so if you are right and he is wrong and he refuses to believe the word of God, again, that's going to the circuit visitor, uh, letting him know the situation and hoping um, that he can bring that reconciliation. If not, eventually discipline would come upon the pastor. Um, and he would be, if he persists in false teaching, he would be removed from office. Not all churches work like the LCMS does, though, so there may be some situations where you simply get to the point where you have to find a faithful congregation near you or even perhaps move so that you can move to a faithful congregation somewhere where you can be served um, with, with truth and purity from God's word word and sacrament that gives you the gift of forgiveness and life through Christ Jesus. So pray for your pastors. Pray that they will love good doctrine and that they will set a good example for the people of your congregation to follow.